0: when we grew up uh, america was number 1 in k12 education and we were so f- far out ahead we, you didn't know who number 2 was now we're not on the top 10 i think a lot of times the other side has this default mode of saying that we're not investing enough and that's just bunk i mean we've we've tripled the amount of investment and we have more investment than any other country Welcome back to the Kevin
1: Roberts Show. We've been doing this several months. We have the opportunity to talk to policymakers, people who influence ideas and policy, great Americans, people who aren't Americans. I'm excited about every single guest. But the guest this week is really special to me because as someone who believes in federalism, and I have to say this, even as an adopted Texan, the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, has been setting the standard. And so, Governor Ducey, thanks so much for being here. It's great great to be here. What a beautiful morning in Washington. The only thing better would be a beautiful morning in Arizona, right? <laughs> yes, and it, and now the seasons are turning. It's starting to get our, our time of year. That, that's right. It is beautiful, by the way, in Washington and in northern Virginia where, where I woke up. But, look, thanks so much not just for being here. To have this conversation with me but this is heartfelt not even just as the president of the Heritage Foundation just a guy a husband a a dad of four kids someone who loves your state you have been I think the
0: consummate cheerful warrior on behalf of truth and everyday Americans well thank you Kevin I appreciate you saying that I'm a I'm a huge fan of yours and of heritage and I think if we have what really happened and doing the right thing with the truth as our north star, we'll will weather the storm and be just fine.
1: That, that's see. There you go. I mean, just exemplifying what I mentioned. We're. At least initially going to focus on the policy area of education, sure. in particular education reform. Arizona for decades has been a leader, but particularly under your leadership, it has really sort of, of a shot to the, to the moon on that. We'll cover some other things, because as we were talking off camera, we just like to have a conversation in this, and you're you're 100% comfortable with that. But let's start with education. I mean, I, I can speak for myself and say, as someone who's led a college, started a private school, but never went to a private school, that the... the... The future of this country rests upon making sure that our government funded schools and the money that government is spending on education generally, all of that is oriented around making sure every single child has an equal opportunity to succeed. It seems as
0: if in Arizona that's been a big priority for you. This has been the, the top priority, and I think if I were speaking to other governors, I mean, this is the number one investment line in every state in the union, and what's the return on investment that we're getting? I mean, K-12 education, I believe, in so many places is failing. Across the country, it's been flatlined since the, the mid-'80s, and it really, in in america we very rarely solve a problem we innovate out of these problems and arizona's tried to be on the leading edge of new ideas that not only provide choice for the parents but then have results in math reading science american civics character formation and you have four children i i have three they're all different and yes sometimes that neighborhood school Works and in many places in our country it works very well, but in many places it doesn't. And what is the option for that kid, especially if their parents can't afford a school of choice? That's just it. I you
1: know, people who have means and and God bless them. You know we we don't envy that can send their children to the school of their choice. And that's great. We want Americans to have that. But what frustrated me, just to be really candid, sometimes with our conservative friends in the Texas legislature, was their unwillingness to accept that. It it wasn't that these these legislators are are poorly intentioned. It's that we were not successful in the education reform movement and opening their minds to that reality that, basically, in the United States of America in the 21st century, the most common form of discrimination is the zip code you wake up in, and that disproportionately affects poor kids, regardless of the color of their skin. You've broken through that in Arizona, so much so that Arizona – ranks number two on Heritage's new Education Freedom Report card. And if you keep doing... It's, it's you, a lagging indicator. It, it is. I was just about to say for your sake, Governor, that if if things keep going, you might be number
0: one the next time it comes out. Well, I'm sure I'll have my successor here next year taking all the credit, uh, but that's that's just fine. And And then we talked about that dynamic competition of what happens with other states. I think there's a positive peer pressure when you have a breakthrough like what we had in Arizona here that other can follow. I've used the example of Roger Bannister, the first person to break the four-minute mile barrier. People thought it was humanly impossible. Once he did it, thousands followed after. It was more of a mental thing. And I think on the school choice movement, especially on educational savings accounts at the universal level, we're in the persuasion game. We need to get people to understand. If you told me that you had four different children that went to four different colleges all over the country, some private, some public, there's no judgment at all there. We want them to go where to the place that's best for them. But when you talk about that at the K-12 through 12 level of people going to different opportunities, public, private, Catholic, Christian, Hebrew, charter, all of a sudden it becomes a, an argument or a discussion. And I do think if you look at the example that we've had in Arizona, I'm fortunate I sit on the um, the shoulders of of giants that have come before me. Lisa Kram Keegan, who was our superintendent of public instruction, Governor Fife Symington, were part of that original breakthrough charter movement. And today we have 560 charter schools, and I'm sure your viewers know that a charter school is a public school with private management. So I I could hire Kevin Roberts to teach government at that school where you likely are not certified in Arizona in K-12. And we used the example of Sandra Day O'Connor in one of my State of the States to say when she retired from the Supreme Court, she wouldn't have been deemed worthy to teach American civics in, in a high school in Arizona. So I think that was the beginning of softening the ground. And then this past session, we did pass universal ESAs. And I want to say when you talk about the Republican Party expanding its base, becoming the party of parents. It was really the African-American pastors in Arizona, not one of them a registered Republican, and a lady named Janelle Wood, a very brave lady named Janelle Wood, who leads the Black Mothers Forum. And there was much Janelle and I did not agree on, especially through the summer of 2020, but we did find that we agreed on educational choice. She came to my eighth state of the state, sat next to the first lady in the front row and from the podium I said that 50 years ago politicians stood in the schoolhouse door and wouldn't let minorities in today union politicians stand in the schoolhouse door and won't let minorities out These kids are trapped in these failing public schools. It's time to set these families free. And I agree with Condoleezza Rice that this is the civil rights issue of our time. If we truly want to renew America, we can begin by reforming K-12 education, because in these schools of choice, kids are learning great lessons. They're learning their civics, their true American history. And in the words of Janelle Wood, they aren't learning to hate America or hate our economic system at the kitchen table. They're lo- they're learning it somewhere else. We need to fix that.
1: No, we have to. I mean, I, I, I think that the, the the narrative framing is great, but even more importantly, as, as you would be the first to remind all of us more important in the messaging, the substance is right. And on that point, just thinking about this Education Freedom Report card on which Arizona has done well, and you know who knows, you may be in the top slot next time. <laughs> we'll be sure that your successor doesn't steal all your <laughs> thunder. We'll come back to that in a minute. We're going to do a, a, a big event for you and for Arizonans in a few weeks out there celebrating this on behalf of, of Arizona children. But the, the question that I have for you is, sometimes the other side funded by the teachers' unions will say, in these states like Arizona, with all of this education freedom, educational attainment actually goes down. I know as an academic, someone who's run schools, who knows numbers, you know numbers given your background, that's never the case. But why don't you, especially for viewers who may be less familiar with the landscape in Arizona, of, of education. Give them a sense of what the, the, those scores indicate.
0: Sure. So that competition has actually been good. Not only have our 560 charters, which have 230,000 children in them, that's over 20% of Arizona's kids. So that is a real body of evidence. If you take the... the exceptional scores in math, reading, and science that we have in those charters. They've actually improved the public K-12 district schools as well. If anything, we've had some of the folks in the private system or the parochial system think that the charter movement is actually hurting them, but they really need to get their act together. They, they need to improve so that parents see that return on the dollars. Now parents will have the stewardship o- over their own dollars. Arizona kids are, are uh, leading in improvement and math and reading across the country if you take that cohort of just our charter schools that's the number one state in the nation with improvement uh, on the districts behind but there's still more to do i think our our standard of measurement although accurate in massachusetts which is considered the number one state in the nation you have 50 percent of the kids upon graduation from high school that aren't at reading level That can't be success in our country, and I think that we should qualify that as number one and just say we have improvement to do. What are the new ideas? And then states being the laboratories of democracy, let's compete and let's innovate. Amen. What are you – just another devil's advocate question for the sake of people in the
1: audience who are – who are, I think a lot of people watch this show and say, well, what can I glean from the conversation that Kevin has with his guest this week on how to talk to neighbors, friends, family members who aren't yet persuaded on this issue? You've done this for several years, and so a devil's advocate question in that spirit. What about the accountability charge? I mean, what, what I've heard in the work that I've done on school choice around the country is, well, th- th- this program will have no
0: accountability. You've answered that really well in Arizona? I believe true accountability is the parent having the choice. And I think COVID helped open people's eyes to this. Most folks around our age, at least that I, I find, sometimes have a, a nostalgia for the neighborhood school that they grew up in. And our country has changed dramatically since then. So has K-12 education, the relationship from teacher to parent to student, all all of that. So I I think the idea of, of accountability is the parent knows what's happening. The parent knows if their child is being challenged. And where COVID helped is we had a good cohort of people that already believed in this in Arizona. But when they went to online learning, people were able to see the lack of rigor that was happening across our education system. They were also able to see some of the things in addition to reading, writing, and arithmetic that was being presented to their students, and I don't think they liked it. So I think the accountability often is a charge from the government unions because they are a huge fan of standardized testing, and of course, testing is a part of education, but there are plenty of factors that go into a a well-rounded well-formed well-educated young person who if you think about it they walk across that stage and in in may uh they're either 17 or 18 ready to go on to whatever's next and we give all of them the same certificate some are headed to the honors colleges the ivy leagues the service academies and others don't know their multiplication tables yeah, So those children, in many cases, have, have been failed. They may have had more success in a much different environment, and it's their parent that can make that choice. I
1: want to keep picking your brain about this policy area with a few questions, but before I move on to, to those, because I, I want to swerve in a little bit into higher education. I don't think you and I have had the opportunity to to talk about that, a world that I know well and I know that you do. But before we get there, I'll, I'm also fascinated by the leadership lessons you must have learned because watching not just from afar i mean we at heritage this is one of our issues it is the the very policy that got me into public policy so i pay really close attention i, I there had to be some moments from the standpoint as the leader of arizona where you thought man this is harder than I thought it would be. Am I mistaken?
0: Well, on something like this, in terms of educational choice, this was one of the topics that, that animated my decision to, to leave the private sector and, and run for governor. And I it was part of a group called Greater Phoenix Leadership. It was uh, CEOs from a, around the greater metropolitan area that gather once a month. And all of them, by and large, were opposed to this idea and going in that room, a room that I used to sit on as a as a board member on the public policy side, and to have such pushback to something that I knew could change the state really did get me a, of the mindset of, one, it's, it's very humbling that I think it, at its core you don't run for office to win the office it's what you can do once once you are there so building those coalitions uh, exposing the african-american pastors and janelle wood and having them tell the story of the situations in their communities because everybody in that room almost was sending their child to a private school and it didn't hurt their lifestyle they weren't m- missing any meals so I, I think those types of things and then it doesn't matter or if you're in the greater Phoenix leadership room or any room in the state. Your job is to to meet people where they are and talk about the things that that we can do in in terms of government and one of these things is not so much the government doing it but taking the resources that the government collects and empowering the parent to make the decision that will be better for their child and this idea of public education is about educating the public and we've seen in Arizona and I do think the Example, and this can be incremental it's great if you can go whole hog and get the whole thing in terms of universal ESAs in the next session Well, by all means do it but I also think if you can start with that idea of the the charter schools the public schools with private management where you can hire the the teachers and and uh, you, you see these educational entrepreneurs that come out of some of these great programs and they don't want to go work on Wall Street or they don't Want to go into the business community? They they want to open up a school, and I'm the energy and enthusiasm in, in these schools, and then the results of the kids. I mean, in Arizona, we have a, a people that move to our state because we have a com, one school completely dedicated to autistic kids. So an autistic kid doesn't have to go to a school where they might be teased or bullied. All of the kids are in the same boat. Different degrees on the spectrum tremendous parental involvement and teachers that specialize in in helping these kids and these schools have been so successful that now they've built the next tier of how they matriculate out into the private sector and have private sector jobs and are able to live on their their own and it was because of that choice that innovation and ultimately the accountability of a parent we all love our children but I think if you have a, a child in a special situation. You have to care even more for them and to see what they've created together in what can be called a public-private partnership, but it's been the parents that have been the heroes along the way. They have. I, from a policy point of view,
1: realized once I got into policy work full-time what a huge gap there is for special education students in American education Mm. to the point of Heroic sacrifices, financial and otherwise, that parents have to make. And, and I don't mean this you know, to, to be sort of some gratuitous policy comment about advocating for school choice just from the standpoint of those families. It's a point of great suffering for these families. And it, 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 while I learned more about it, Governor, it, it shouldn't have surprised me because when I was running my school in Louisiana, we were a private Catholic school, we simply didn't have the teacher talent, the financial resources ourselves as an institution to help all students with special needs. And, and it, that anecdotal example I think, writ large, is one of the problems, and so Arizona is answering this with innovation. and And I think what's going to happen to, to sum up the context for this next question is that we're finally getting out of this 150 year old model of of the school built by Horace Mann. It was good at the time. I mean, Excellent. we're not going to to uh, denigrate that, but it's the 21st century, and and
0: Arizona is leading the way in almost every respect. Well. I'm glad you pointed out, Horace Mann, and that this model's is 150 years old, and it was the, the standard of excellence. I think when when we grew up, uh, America was number one in K-12 education, and we were so f- far out ahead, we, you didn't know who number two was. Now, on any any list of industrialized nations, we're not on the top ten and i really think we should find that unacceptable as americans i think a lot of times the other side has this default mode of saying that we're not investing enough and that's just bunk i mean we've we've tripled the amount of investment and we have more investment than any other country it's that the model that we have is not working and yes we are in many cases a larger country. And you talk about the number of children that we need to educate. But I do think if we look at these models and we find a way to, and this is the really the greatest thing, Kevin, about being a governor. You lead on this issue. This is we don't want Washington, D.C.'s help on this. D.C. doesn't have much to do with education and we wish that they had less to do. And I do think that you will see these other states that we've been competing for years. I want to give a real shout out to Jeb Bush. I think he was one of the real innovators first in Florida, and uh, so much of, of this movement was not only led by him as as a governor, but he's also been one of the chief cheerleaders and advocates post his his governorship. And you see things like Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis improving on what's happened there. I think Arizona is you know, that late lagging indicator, and will take over number one. But Ron DeSantis should come back next year and and one up. And Greg Abbott should do that as well. I know Bill Lee is fighting hard for this in, in Tennessee. And I'm talking about a lot of Republican governors here because I do think school choice is a very welcome topic in our discussions. But I also think that's a shame because I don't think this is a Republican issue. That charter movement, that choice movement for anybody that's seen the movie Waiting for Superman, that this was this was a parent movement. This was a bipartisan movement. And some of the first and greatest Successes were in the toughest minority areas. Those stories in Harlem in the movie to this day still bring a tear to your eye, and you know that that's what's possible. And when you see somebody who knows their child's entire future is based on a lottery, on if they get into that exceptional school or if they have to go to the government offering, I again just think these are things that we should reject in our country. You talk about the technology and innovation. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Michael Crow has been a a force multiplier at Arizona State University. They were just named the the most innovative university in in America for the eighth year running. The first year was my first year as governor. I'll never forget where I was. It was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, on stage with Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. And I was able to congratulate him on Harvard's second place finish to Arizona State. You you (laughs) took some enjoyment of that, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did. And I don't think the audience thought it was as funny as I did, but uh, back home they loved it because in Arizona, because we're such a new state and people come from all over the country and the world to live there, they're open-minded to change. They're open-minded to some of these ideas. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Crow has worked with Salman Khan on, and and he's been terrific on so many different topics, but now they have a Khan Academy for American Civics. And in many ways, as good as the work of Salman Khan is, I think that this will be the brick phone to what the iPhone can be, and maybe Salman Khan will lead that 10 years from now, because that technology, that idea of flipping the classroom, my boys were all went to a Catholic school, and they did some of that in grade school, so they were able to watch the lecture at home and then go to school. If they were good at math, they just flew through the lessons. If they needed some help, the teacher could see that, and that's the equivalent of one-on-one tutoring, which changes things for, for everyone. And and that may not be the right way for everyone in terms of flipping the classroom, but it was an innovation fueled by technology that we saw real success in, in our family, and I think our friends and neighbors would say the same. I, I, I know they would. I mean, just talking to, to parents about
1: that, and, and uh, we'll promise not to go full education geek on you here, but I'm just thinking about what I learned leading a couple of Socratic-based schools that, you know, that's a very long tradition in, mm. in the West, not the American West where Arizona is, but the Western Hemisphere. And what's interesting is that the technology that allows us to say, watch a lecture and a shorter lecture, so that's, that's better for attention spans for especially teenage boys, and then come into the classroom and apply that lesson and be in discussion about that lesson and in negotiation to some extent with yes. your classmates, not only is that really good for real-world experience, I mean, you know this from business and from politics, it also helps us to know the concepts better. I mean, this is a very, it's a, literally an ancient way of learning things. So as an educator, for me, I just, I embrace this technology, uh, and I think we need to remember that this is a very good way to scale some of this innovation, and perhaps one of the silver
0: linings of COVID is that it, it proved that case, right? Yes, I, I think so. And uh, talking about the Socratic method, there's a, another school system in Arizona, a school system of choice, the Great Hearts Academies. and there are A lot of former students who are teachers there. Yeah, I will tell you, if Jack, Joe, and Sam Ducey were in kindergarten, they would be going to grade hearts versus Pope John the the great hearts reading list that Socratic method so many of the things that they've done this is a a school system I don't know how many campuses they have now in Arizona but I do know they have an 11,000 kid wait list and this is not an easy place to go to school it is rigorous there is homework and there is not only accountability on the parents part uh, you are you are going to be graded and there is not great inflation there. So parents do want that for their kids. I think parents, especially in America, they're pretty good consumers. They, they they know what works, they know what doesn't work. They don't go to the same barber three times for a bad haircut. That's why we've done so much in terms of reducing regulation and, and licensing. We want people that want to work to get to work. And I think that some of those same market principles that have made us the most dynamic, unique, Uh, economy in in the world can be applied to education so that our children can get uh, these better results and and outcomes and also knowing that our kids are different the we want them to have a base education as well but somehow we got caught in a loop in the 80s where we thought everyone would go to a four-year college with a bachelor's degree Uh, one that's just not human nature a lot of people for whatever reason don't want to go to college or aren't ready for college at 18 years old. And the jobs really, even in a dynamic economy, often two-thirds of the jobs will be available outside of that type of credential.
1: So speaking of of higher ed, any policy lessons there? Um, obviously, the, the Education Freedom Report card that Heritage issued on what you did so well focuses on K-12. In that context, though, obviously, is where teachers are being prepared where K-12 students will go. They may not, but obviously a healthy public higher education system affects us all. What's the the landscape in that policy arena in Arizona, and what, what advice might you give leaders of other states when it comes to tackling what are not as good edu- uh, university systems in their states?
0: Well, I, I think it's very important that we do focus on that, and that's something that a governor can have a real impact on. I think we know what's wrong in higher education, so I don't want to focus on that. I think we also have a lot that that's right i mean for all of our flaws uh we are still the envy of the world the elite of the world want to send their children to our universities and and there's a a reason for that so i think the most important thing is that you have the best university president I mean, you don't want to find the traditional academic who's, who's been around forever. These are institutions that need buffing and polishing, shaking up and, and innovation. And uh, a, a governor gets to name the regents. And the regents are really the board that hires that president. Now I was lucky enough to inherit Michael Crow at Arizona State University and see what he was doing to change the landscape, not only on campus, but to connect it to what was happening in the state of Arizona. He said something during his uh, his inauguration or or swearing in, and he said, you know, Yale is considered one of the country's finest institutions, but how has it affected New Haven? And at the time, New Haven was was in deep trouble. And he thought part of the measurement of a university that it would have impact on that community. And I think that is a challenge that every university president should accept. We were able to hire a new president at University of Arizona, we had had five presidents in 11 years. And I think you know as somebody who's run institutions, that's not going to be what's best. So I wanted to step out and say where do we find the next Michael Crow or my other favorite president around the country was Mitch Daniels who was the former governor of Indiana went to Purdue and was just excelling on so many fronts. So we interviewed a, a gentleman, uh, Dr. Bobby Robbins. in. Uh, he was unique. He wanted this job. He wanted to commit to it for a decade or more. This is a Stanford-trained thoracic surgeon, um, and I wanted to check his resume out because I wanted to find somebody that would be there for a decade or more. And he said, well, you can call Rick Perry, Greg Abbott, or George W. Bush to check my resume out. And I think it was our first big win against Texas. Bobby Robbins now oh, in here Tucson. comes the competitive <laughs> fire, Governor. <laughs> and uh, doing, doing a lot of good things for, for Southern Arizona for for Tucson, Pima County, and for the state of Arizona. So I think the most important thing that a governor can do is to make sure that you have university presidents where there's some alignment on, on, on values and, and performance. To make sure you're appointing regents that are not patronage appointments, but hard-headed business people and subject matter experts in in academia that will not only hold the the president uh, accountable but be supportive of that and select. The the best person when there there's an opening and then there's things you can do like we've done around civics we have the the regents cup rather than having a, a spelling bee or focusing on other things you know kids weren't learning their civics uh, in arizona or in our country the first law i passed was the american civics act so no kid graduates from an arizona high school without passing the same test that a newly naturalized american takes and these are pretty simple questions i mean who's the father of your country who fought the civil war who won but it was shocking to me that kids didn't know this because it wasn't being taught it wasn't being tested and we've built on that with the sander O'Connor Civic Celebration Day, where one day a- every year each class has to find a way to incorporate civics. We're working on a history curriculum that will reflect the true scope of our history and all that happened along the way. I think th- that's also core. It's one thing to be great at math and, and know your science, but if you also don't know how special and exceptional the country we live in and how fortunate we are to have it and our responsibility in continuing it, then I don't think you've really had an education if you want to go back to the Socratic method in becoming a citizen.
1: Color me biased as a historian and someone who's led a couple of liberal arts schools and nothing against the math and sciences, but all the math and science achievement in the world won't matter much if we don't know where we came from. Especially I mean this is uniquely true for America because we have the most noble civic goal in the history of the world and that is to somehow resolve all of the pluralism we have i mean you know this in arizona better than most governors and we've done it imperfectly to be sure because our republic is a human
0: enterprise but But better but better than anyone else we still have people that take tremendous risk because they want to come here i do think the the so many of the the legal immigrants that that I know that are in the workforce are the most patriotic of Americans and and love this country. And I think that, that, Understanding that we can get to our children and in our families is is important because you're right. There there have been plenty of things, and in in the correct teaching of our history, those things should come up. But over the course of time, we have improved. I mean, this whole pursuit that we're that we're all created equal. Uh, life and liberty and then this this incredible idea that you can pursue happiness in this country and in security and 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 safety uh is still the the best idea that has been uh put put forward and uh and and this is our charge here and K-12 education is so much a part of continuing it. And I do think when you talk about the the liberal arts is that idea of the formation of of the full citizen. Uh, In in addition to being prepared to go out into the real world, it's those those foundations and and grounding that also have the participation in in the local community, which is really where the strength of the of the country uh, in any state is.
1: It's what Tocqueville wrote about mm-hmm. nearly 200 years ago. So shifting gears just just a little bit, um, not necessarily just to to other policy areas, but a little bit broader question. You're you're nearing the end of your your, your term, uh, which is difficult to to think about for me. So it, it probably is for you. Oda. Terms, Terms. Yeah, that's yeah. What <laughs> I, the, the the nearing the end of of your service for now. What other policy areas, as you probably have begun reflecting on, on your leadership of Arizona, are you really proud about in addition to what we've been talking about?
0: Well, I, I do think K-12 education and the fact that Arizona is considered the gold standard for educational freedom. And, and Kevin, it took all... Of eight years to to get here that's right? the lesson right and and so persistence is part of it also a great team I really have been blessed with an incredible staff oftentimes they're the ones that are face-to-face with the legislature and I, on this one we were able to get this over the finish line the other thing is you know states really compete I was able in my second state of the state to say I'd be remiss if I didn't thank my partner in growing Arizona's economy and that was then California governor jerry brown Uh, i you know reagan said had the pilgrims landed on the west coast they would have never bothered to discover the rest of the country yet today there is an exodus from the golden state to places like arizona and i think it's because of failed policy so i do think comparing the ideas that we're bringing to life and one of them was opportunity for all You know, special favors for no one, but why aren't these high-tech, high-paying firms headquartering in Arizona? And today, our economy's been transformed. Eight years ago, we were known for construction and call centers, and those are great jobs. There's there's dignity in all that work in the service sector. But most recently, we've had Taiwan Semiconductor, maybe the most valuable and important company in the world, and could have located anywhere chose arizona over all 49 states i think it's because we've got a great quality of life we've got that pipeline of talent and k-12 education university presidents that are responsive and now there is a true ecosystem whether it's taiwan semi or Nikola or lucid or these battery manufacturers to think that we could be one of the leading producers of electric cars battery manufacturers autonomous vehicles along with our service Sector. So any job from from you know software engineer to an, an opening at the Camelback Inn is available. There's a job available for anyone that wants to work. And the other thing that I'm I'm proud of when you and I went to high school, there was a class called shop and a lot of people found their purpose in that room, and they they turned it into a passion and then a paycheck. Uh, We have invested in career and technical education, so all of our high school children will really see an option on whether they'd like to go into vocational and trade, community college, four-year university, or the United States military. But it's not something they're going to be Saying at age 18 I didn't know that was available and I think that's a way to keep our young people engaged to have them showing up to class rather than punching out in those late teenage years and uh, and I, I think in addition I came into office and our relationship with Mexico was at rock bottom and i have been as tough on the border as any governor in the country i've been very grateful for the partnership of greg abbott especially as we've been abandoned with the biden administration and even through the those turmoils our relationship with mexico has has never been better they're our number one trade partner i came from the private sector so i know you pay attention to your your top customer uh, i was blessed to have governor claudia pavlovich who the first female governor of Sonora. My first trip as a new governor was to Mexico City. My first trip upon reelection was to Mexico City. So you can be very tough on the border. You can be concerned about public safety and national security and still have a partner. And I think this is so important. In addition to loving our country so much, we are blessed to, to have two friendly neighbors, even if we do have an issue on that Southern border and that prosperity that Mexico can enjoy through some of the victories that arizona had in lucid not only take some of the pressure off the border but it makes certain that we are as strong as north america and a more peaceful place and after COVID, i think we want to see this repatriation we want to see a a, a reshoring of manufacturing and supply chain and mexico and canada through the usmca that was passed under donald trump and mike pence can be a real part of that and i think that that could be a better a Economy and a safer, more peaceful, prosperous United States and North America for the next several decades, because China's really shown us who they are.
1: They are. And and uh, maybe the next time we, we have you on, we can really home in on the, the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party. I'm grateful that you you articulated for our audience the totality of the border problem, and you've been articulate about that for a long time. But as we move into to closing up, for the the sake of your schedule, Governor Ducey, a couple of final questions. One is, and it's not a leading question, I, I promise you that. What's next for you? You're you're a young, vibrant guy, and you have <laughs> well, a heck of a lot
0: more hair than I do, so I can say that. Well, well, thank you. i I've, I've. I've loved being governor. This is the best job in politics. I believe in term limits, so eight, eight years is, is plenty. I came from the private sector. I am going to finish strong. We've got one last water project to finish in Arizona. It'll be the largest desalination plant in the world off the Sea of Cortez. So our relationship with Israel, who is the world's superpower on water, Arizona is the best in the nation on water, and then our partnership with Mexico is a, a, a going to allow this to solve Arizona's water needs for the next hundred years. So I'm going to finish strong there. I'm also leading the RGA, the Republican Governors Association. I was at Georgetown last night giving an overview to the students there. And my uh, my adversary or counterpart, Roy Cooper, who leads the Democratic Governors Association, will be there tonight. There's 36 races around the country. So uh, you are what your record is in, in this business. Pete Ricketts is my co here in Nebraska. I want to complete those races. I think it's going to be a very good year. I think we can have a good cycle on the, the, the kitchen table and common sense ideas. I mean, you right here in this area saw Glenn Youngkin, an outsider and a newcomer, defeat a quasi-incumbent uh, with 100% name ID. And what was he talking about? Education talking about the fact that parents should be allowed to be involved in their students' classrooms. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of governors out there talking about it, and I think that'll serve our country well because it'll get decisions out of D.C., Back to the state house, and ultimately back to the parents. And uh, so I'm going to finish strong there. And then I'm open-minded. I've loved being a part of this conservative cause. I'm either going to continue to serve directly or or indirectly, but it very well could be from the private sector as well.
1: Thanks for that answer. So we have a pretty broad audience, probably a little heavy on the younger side. And you know, if if, if I'm in my 20s, looking at America. I might be prone to a little bit of pessimism, although I tell my younger friends and family and colleagues, don't be that way. This is still America. But just sitting here with you for the better part of an hour, you, you just emanate this joyfulness about the future. What advice would you give them about keeping our hopefulness about America in spite of what are some very real challenges?
0: Well, I think that idea of, of being hopeful, I mean, you don't have false optimism. And, and we are divided. And there's no doubt it's a trying time. But uh, I've been briefed well and saw your resume i know you're a phd in history don't hold that against me <laughs> and i don't think you have to be a phd to see that we've been here before in different situations and we have found a way through it so to get up at every day to whatever your cho- cho- chosen pursuit is to go after that that with all the energy that you have to look for ways to be part of this solution and i do think at some point this fever breaks I'm not sure where or when it breaks. We were children of the 70s and we saw what what one man could do in terms of a country that was in decline, there was a malaise, Uh, he was the individual that was considered too extreme to have the nomination in 1976, who won re-election in 1984 with 49 states. And really from that date up until rather recently, while we've never been truly united except on September 12th, there's always been a back and forth, we haven't felt the same tension that we have right now. So I think that idea of being a good chair, and uh, I love that you said happy warrior because I think it's a good mile because I'm going to continue to advocate for the things I truly believe in, but I think we can do it in, in good faith with our fellow citizens. Well, to
1: sort of riff on your your reference to President Carter and his Malay speech and and what you alluded to, President Biden's ill-advised soul of the nation speech, to, to be polite, Sounds like the soul of the nation is okay if we're willing to lean into it and go seize the future. Governor Ducey, this has been really fun. Thanks so much for being here, most of all for your service to this country. We look forward to remaining friends with you and helping any way we can.
0: Thanks, Kevin, and thanks for everything that Heritage does. It's our privilege. Thanks
1: so much for this episode of the Kevin Roberts Show. Join us next time for another policymaker. Take care.
0: The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producer is Crystal Kate Bonham. The producer is Philip Reynolds. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and Tim Kennedy. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.